Welcome to Girlfriends Pray Podcast. We are a prayer ministry for women, and our mission is to draw women closer to God through prayer. To learn more about Girlfriends Pray, go to our website, www.girlfriendspray.org. Follow us on social media at Girlfriends Pray and join us for prayer every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our call-in number is 712-775-7031, access code 943334-POUND. We invite you to connect, support, or become a partner of Girlfriends Pray. Remember, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. God bless you. So again, I want to say welcome. Um, We are going to jump into the call. We have um, a special guest with us this evening. But first, let me give you the backdrop in terms of what we are talking about and what is the issue that we are bringing to the forefront to try and get a better understanding um, about, about the issue and how it is that we identify with the issue um, and how it is that we resolve um, the issue. Tonight we're talking specifically as the first series, we're talking about overwhelm, um, we're talking about Um, If you here on the line have ever had anxiety uh, or an anxiety attack or a panic attack, um, we are having a conversation at the intersection of overwhelm, anxiety, panic, and maybe even if you use this language, meltdown, breakdown, but we're looking at all of the – having a better understanding of those things in the self-induced way that uh, perhaps – excuse me, if it is that you experience that, how it is that, um, you know, we might be part of the problem, and but tonight we want to be part of the solution. And so with us this evening, we have, and I want to just share as a disclaimer, this session and this series, although we are a prayer ministry, and if you follow it for some time, you know I'm pretty um, solid on the separation between Um, ministers and ministry, and then licensed trained therapists. Um, And so this series was specifically designed to invite licensed trained therapists um, to the call, Um, even if you've written a book and you may be an expert in the field. While I respect you personally, um, we respect the space and to to help demystify and debug the thing about church being the end-all and the be-all. God is end-all, be-all, but the church, in terms of the church being a resource that can both minister and then also diagnose you, um, I'm not, I don't necessarily believe that unless the people are licensed and trained um, professionals. And so that's who we have invited, invited to the call. Um, so, so today we have... Um, now, she goes by the title, um, let me see, I think she goes by Sharon White. She goes by another title, um, 
reverend in another space. But for tonight, she's a licensed clinical social worker. Um, so she is a professional, and she is the program director um, for uh, mobile services in Delaware County, and she holds um, background, um, particularly in, in social services, um, but she also does uh, training specifically for mental health first aid. And so um, as a certified trainer for mental health first aid, she's the person that would essentially train us, I, I think that you would call us lay people, um, right, in terms yeah. of how it is that we would die, we, we could perhaps not diagnose, but at least, at least um, have some insight and be aware um, as to when people are presenting um, with something of the sorts. But you know what? Let me stop talking, and I'm going to just invite you in to introduce yourself. Thank you so much for being here, um, woman of God. I appreciate your last minute being available and then all of the work that you do both in ministry, outside of ministry. So why don't you come in and uh, just share a little bit about your clinical background? Sure. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be with you all. I got the call this uh, uh, afternoon, morning, something, but uh, I am so passionate about educating um, non-professionals about this topic, so I'm glad that my schedule allowed me to be here. So I have been a licensed clinical therapist for 20-some years, uh, 23, 4, something like that. I've lost count. But um, I definitely am licensed by the state to uh, be a psychotherapist, which means I do everything from diagnosis to treatment. Um, currently, I am not doing direct service. I am in management, but I have been doing treatment for many years. I'm also a certified biblical counselor, so I've got both the biblical um, training as well as the professional psychotherapy training. Um, for me, I am very, very passionate about trying to get the church more um, educated properly on mental health issues and proper treatment and things like that. So to me, this is just um, an opportunity to um, kind of branch into that area. Um, I'll talk a little bit about some other things I have coming up, but I'm happy to be here with you all tonight uh, to talk about a very serious topic. Most of us think that depression is the um, biggest mental health issue in our country that we deal with, but in fact, anxiety has a higher percentage of incidence than depression does. So I'm glad to talk about anxiety tonight. Now, should I go right into the presentation? Um, so, well, okay. here, yes, yeah. because so, here's what we want to know, and just in terms of the okay. structure. So we okay. want to talk about, um, first, the uh, – so um, you, you hear people – I've heard people talk about, you know, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and I was having this conversation with one of my mastermind buddies this morning. We don't know I – don't, I don't know – I wouldn't know how to identify if I had a panic attack or an anxiety attack or not. Mm -hmm. So can you mm -hmm. clarify or just help us understand what is an anxiety attack and what is mm -hmm. a panic attack? Um, can we just start there and then we'd love to go sure. into, um, you know, symptoms and causes and such? Sure. Sure. So let me first say that all of us at some point feel anxious. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an intense um, expression, experience, excuse me, of um, anxiety that can be, uh, can be crippling. It affects people's daily lives, performances, relationships, and all of that. So we're not talking about the typical, I'm running late, I'm feeling a little nervous. But we're talking about an actual disorder where there is um, symptomology that we talk about 
um, specifically. So let me say this. <clears throat> anxiety disorders, there are about, probably we identified about seven different uh, types of anxiety disorders. Panic attacks are one of those seven that we identify. So mm. anxiety is the broad category. And let me mm-hmm. just mention what the seven are, and then I'll talk a little bit about that further. So, so <clears throat> the most common anxiety disorders, what we call specific phobias, where people have fears of specific things, fear of flying, fear of uh, snakes, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a very specific phobia. And that's actually the most common disorder that we see in anxiety. The second one is what we call social uh, anxiety, where people have a very intense reaction to being in public places, being in crowds. Um, the the uh, emotion can be so um, intense that a person may need to leave whatever that environment is. So that's the second type of anxiety disorder we talk about. Then we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. That's another Mm. uh, anxiety uh, disorder. Um, Then we talk about general anxiety. Then we talk about panic disorder. So, again, that's one type of anxiety. The other two that we talk about are obsessive-compulsive disorder, and then we talk about agoraphobia. Now, I can't talk about all of those, but those are the types that we talk about. So I'm going to talk uh, later about the different symptomology as related to all kinds of anxiety. Um, so to pull out the panic disorder for a moment since you mentioned it, um, the, when a person has a panic attack, there is absolutely a sudden feeling of intense anxiety and fear and sometimes terror where wherever they are, um, they cannot function in the moment because of that terror. Most people, if they've had one before, they understand what they're dealing with. But one of the key components of a panic disorder is that the peak of it only lasts for a few moments. So it's not something that someone's going to experience for 20 minutes. That's not how a panic attack works. It's a sudden intense feeling. It peaks after a couple of minutes, and then the person starts to come down. So that's what I would say about um, the different types of anxiety disorders and the uh, panic attacks. And I'll also mention that um, in any given year in our country, this is why it's important to talk about it, almost 20% of the adults experience an anxiety disorder in 12 months. So we're talking about intensive um, uh, 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 disorder. Okay, well, thank you for breaking breaking that down. And you know what? So this is already helpful because I know I didn't know that all of the others or the seven types that fall under the umbrella. So, Mm -hmm. um, So interesting. So... And just to, just to uh, clarify, so you identify anxiety as nervousness or extreme fear. I just want to make sure I know. Right. It, it, it's I a nervousness. It's a, it's what people, people often will say, I worry a lot, when in fact what they're usually talking about is having some sort of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So where should we go? where should we go next? Um, symptoms of anxiety, uh, causes of anxiety, um, because, and I'll share this with you, uh, Reverend, the reason this has come up is because in, um, this is a prayer ministry, Girlfriends Pray, and so we're praying for women and we're always getting prayer requests, Mm -hmm. but we also are, um, for most of the women, the leadership, uh, we hear or people reach out when they are dealing and challenged with things. And so we're here, we, we get this all the time, you know, overwhelmed okay. um, and sure. such. And so, so that's why we connected 
because um, we're not experts like you, but we connected, at least I connected, overwhelmed to panic and anxiety, mm-hmm. not knowing the full scope of it. So so sure. can you um, talk a little bit about the connection or the relationship there? Sure. So I think um, one of the things we want to be aware of is that being having anxiety can also, being overwhelmed can be a part of an anxiety disorder, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're overwhelmed, you have an anxiety disorder. But that can be a part of the clinical picture of somebody who has an anxiety disorder. Just want to mention that. Let me let me mm-hmm. do this if I might. Can I just um, talk a little bit about some of the um, symptoms of anxiety? Can I do that? Oh, please. Okay. So I'm going to mention this sort of the signs, what we call signs and symptoms, and we generally talk about three different areas that we look at for the signs and symptoms. We look at the physical, like what happens to a person physically when they're having an anxiety attack. Then we talk about the behavioral, what what do we see them do or not do, and then we talk about the psychological. So if I could for a moment just kind of mention some signs and symptoms from each of those categories, is that all right? Absolutely. Okay. So when we talk about physical, uh, one of the things that happens is um, people sometimes have very – uh, very specific cardiovascular responses. In other words, that sometimes they have chest pains, rapid heartbeat. Sometimes their their heart becomes pounding. That becomes of concern, especially because sometimes it almost mimics a heart attack. So we always say, if a person has those symptoms, even though we think it could be anxiety, we need to get them to a, a medical a, a, a professional to get checked out for heart stuff. But so cardiovascular is absolutely affected. But then also the respiratory is affected. So sometimes a person might um, have very fast breathing. They may talk fast, and so there's shortness of breath. Um, Then there's what we call neurological, where people sometimes can have headaches. They can have sweating. um, They can have tingling in their limbs. They can have a numbness. um, They can sometimes feel dizzy. And so as you see, some of these mimic medical conditions. Then sometimes they can have gastrointestinal issues like almost as if they're choking or about to choke. Um, I've seen people with dry mouth where they seem to um, not have enough um, moisture in their mouth because of what's happening internally, stomach pain, nausea, uh, nauseousness, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, and then lastly, the musculoskeletal system can be affected where people um, have muscle aches and pains, uh, especially around the neck, the shoulders, and the back. And what happens is people may go get checked out medically and there's nothing medical going on, and then we start to look at is this anxiety. Um, there may be some restlessness, um, inability to relax. So all of those fit up under what we call the physical signs and symptoms of anxiety. But then we talk about the behavioral. What, what happens to a person who, um, what do they do or not do if they're having some um, anxiety issues? And so um, I want to just mention some of those quickly, if I might. I'm t- looking at my paper. <laughs> Give me a second. I took my papers out of order. I made some notes. Bear with me. Oh, here we are. Okay. So the behavior we look at people when they have anxiety, they kind of maybe avoid situations that they know might cause them more anxiety. Um, For example, if somebody has a social phobia, um, excuse me, social anxiety, then they might avoid going to the supermarket. They might avoid going to the mall. They might avoid coming to church um, rather than put themselves in a position where they know their anxiety is going to be heightened. Um, sometimes there's that obsessive-compulsive behavior where a person can't help but keep checking the door to see if they locked it or check the water to see if they turned it off, things like that. And, again, these are all behavioral. Sometimes um, 
the uh, person might have psychological signs and symptoms such as unrealistic or excessive fear about something that there's no reality to. Um, sometimes they might have their mind might be racing and they can't seem to concentrate. Um, they might go blank with what they were thinking about. They may not be able to concentrate well. Um, they may have memory issues. They might become very indecisive, irritability, um, being impatient, um, sometimes maybe finding themselves angry, um, confused, restless, feeling, quote, unquote, on the edge, but can't explain why. Uh, sometimes the person might have unexplained fatigue, um, unexplained, unexplainable sleep disturbance. So those become the psychological signs and symptoms. I hope I didn't go too fast, but uh, let me stop there and see where you want to go next. Uh, no, uh, you know what? You keep going. I mean, as much as you would like to share, I think this is very okay. helpful. Yes. Okay, good. Wonderful. Let me just mention to you a couple of facts about anxiety, and then I'm going to talk about risk factors for um, anxiety. So one of the things that we know in our profession is that for some reason, and we can't explain it yet, it happens more with women than men. We don't really know why, but women have a higher incidence of anxiety than men do. The uh, median onset age for anxiety is 11 years old, and if we think about that for a second, that makes it complicated to diagnose because what do we know about 11-year-olds? Developmentally, they're, they're trying to become adults. They're struggling with certain body images, self-image, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we know that it starts in 11, but uh, uh, the reality is that we don't often, often find people, um, uh, uh, excuse me, diagnose them at the 11-year-old uh, uh, point. Um, and uh, I think... One of the other things I'll point out is that there is a high percentage of people who have anxiety who, if they're not getting treatment, they um, start to self-medicate with alcohol and or drugs to cope. Because if a person has that intense anxiety, it is very uh, disabling, it's very upsetting, it's very um, uh, 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 hard for people to live with that without finding the need to self-medicate. So I wanted to mention those facts about it because that, stresses the importance of, of people getting treatment as soon as possible. Um, and then lastly, when people have a high level of anxiety over a long period of time, that can cause depression. So you might find a person who has both anxiety and depression. Just a few facts I wanted to throw out there. So let me talk a little bit about risk factors for anxiety. Um, any kind of stressful or traumatic event can cause a person to have an anxiety disorder. Now, while I'm mentioning these as risk factors, it does not mean that people will automatically have the disorder, but this is what we assess for and listen for when we're interviewing people to determine what's going on with them. Um, ongoing stress and anxiety can cause a person to be at risk for an actual anxiety disorder. Family history of anxiety can cause a person to be at risk for anxiety. And then there are some people who have a very, very sensitive nature, just by sensitive emotional nature, just by who they are and that can sometimes make them more susceptible to um, an anxiety disorder. And I will uh, give some, uh, a little bit of disclosure here that I have a family member who, as I watched her as a young person, I could tell she was extremely sensitive emotionally. She would, she would be the kind of person who, if she saw someone being picked on, it would just really, uh, she would have an extremely um, strong reaction to that because she had a very, uh, uh, sensitive, uh, emotional nature, and, and she does have an anxiety disorder. Uh, it, uh, I could see that. 
So there's a correlation between someone who has a very sensitive emotional nature and possibly having an anxiety disorder. Um, when Some people who have had a difficult childhood, maybe they've, there's been some abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, or their needs not being met, maybe they've been neglected, um, that can sometimes cause a, a person to be at risk for anxiety disorder. Um, sometimes illnesses that are life-threatening, chronic illnesses, chronic pain, um, side effects of medication, actually. Uh, recent childbirth can cause some women to have anxiety uh, issues. Uh, I think the other thing is that chemical imbalance in the brain. So when we talk about causes, sometimes there are psychosocial stuff, like I just talked about, but then sometimes people have a chemical imbalance in the brain, and, uh, and, and so that becomes the reason for their anxiety, not that there was anything psychosocial going on, but there's a chemical imbalance in the brain. And those are uh, things that make people at risk for an anxiety disorder. I'll pause here to see where you want me to go next. Well, eventually we want to get to the treatment. Um, you know, good, like what do good. you do? Um, I, well, I guess there's also a question of uh, clarifying what the distinction or the line between, um, I guess, worry and concern and clinically presenting for the disorder? Because I hear you, um, I don't know, I heard you talk a little bit about that. So I'm just, I'm just wondering um, where there's a clinical uh, diagnosis versus sure. somebody just in their day-to-day having, you know, just feeling overwhelmed. Look, I, I'm going to be quite honest, I don't know anybody on this phone who probably wouldn't say, and it's not it's not a laughing matter, but probably wouldn't say, yeah, some of that is me. Just because in yeah, life there's yeah. so much coming yeah. in, which I again Absolutely. I think led to the call. We have a lot more we're contending with. There's a lot mm-hmm. of inputs. There's a lot of noise in the world. There's Absolutely. a lot of um, negative. Although um, I do declare we are not living in the worst of times we're living in the best and the worst of times we're living in the best of times and the worst time but there's a lot to deal with um uh-huh. so yeah so so can we talk about clinical and then the treatment or yeah yeah sure that'd be great sure so so i think what what i started by saying is that all of us have anxiety at some time or another but what we want to pay attention to is number one how intense are the feelings of anxiety number one Number two, how long is that? Is, are the feelings of anxiety lasting? Does it come and come and go as a result of something, some stimulus that has happened? I got to work late for the for job for the uh, for my job uh, every day this week, and I have to get home. So there's all this stuff going on, and and I'm I'm feeling a little anxious. That's not clinical anxiety. Also, we're talking about um, how does it affect the person's life? If it if it renders a person um, if, it, if it affects a person's daily activities on a regular basis, job performance, relationships, schoolwork, in every area of their lives, if they're being um, uh, hampered or affected or becoming demobilized in those areas, then we start to look at is this an anxiety disorder. Got it. So it's intensity and duration and uh, it sounds like disruption in day-to-day functioning. So Absolutely. If- Okay, so so if there's a little bit of nervousness, concern, or feelings of overwhelm, and it's a day or two, and can't quite get through, so it, but it means disruption. But you can connect to, it to. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. 
I'm sorry. I apologize. I thought you were done. I'm on the no, cell no, phone. No, no, no. Listen, you're, you, no, you're the expert. We, we invited you here because we needed to know about these things. So. <laughs> no worries. If it, especially if it's connected to some stimulus that you can say. Again, um, I'm, I'm stuck in traffic and I have a meeting that if I miss it, my boss told me to let this. If I'm late again, I'm going to be fired. I can connect my anxiety to a situation that is rational in the way I think about it. Oh, got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Got it? Okay. Mm-hmm. But if there is no situation and there's a feeling, then that's right. something different. Got it. And it's ongoing. It. And, it's, it, and it's intense and it's, and it's ongoing. Like you said, duration of it. It's ongoing. Yeah. In, intensity and duration, I think, is mm-hmm. is right. The, the How they define um, abnormal psychology or mental presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember mm-hmm. duration and all right. Well, Absolutely. this is good. So, of course, we, and we impact, want to get right. to – I'm sorry? I just said and impact. Impact. Got it. Got it. Right. So, of course, we want to know, you know, what do we do – because I think you shared how or where it comes from, where it stems from. But I think we, mm-hmm. you know, we're interested in then either how do we manage it if it happens and then sure. how do we prevent sure. How do we prevent it? And then, um, everybody, if you just join, this is Girlfriends Pray, and we're going to open up the lines in just um, a second. This is Girlfriends Pray Real Talk, and we're talking about um, anxiety uh, disorders, which we've already, we've just learned there are seven types of anxiety disorders, um, uh, and we have the Reverend Doctor, the right Reverend Doctor. You, this is good so far. This is really good. So Amen. I'm really Amen. grateful that you're here. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so yes. Please continue. Okay. So let me let me talk about treatment for a second because I think uh, that that's definitely something I know everybody wants to know about. First of all, let me say this: um, if it's clinical anxiety, which we've already talked about, then typically that a person cannot handle that on their own. They need help. And we're talking about um, a, uh, a clinical a clinician who is trained to provide uh, psychotherapy. That's the first uh, uh, strategy that we work, we deal with, is psychotherapy. We use most often um, what we call CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where we help people to look at their thoughts, how it affects the behavior, what thoughts need to be mm-hmm. changed, what behaviors need to be changed, so that we can help people to learn how to cope with and manage if a person has a clinical anxiety, it does not go away. So we teach people how to manage the symptoms and the impact of the anxiety. So, again, psychotherapy is one of the uh, uh, preferred uh, uh, treatments of choice. And, and then also there is um, using what we call psychotropic medication. Um, I know in the church sometimes we don't want to talk about uh, taking medications for psychological issues, but the reality is that uh, there are times when the anxiety cannot be managed until a person has been given medication so that they can come to what we call a baseline, a place where the psychotherapy can help. Um, Mm -hmm. There have been times where people have gotten psychotherapy, but the anxiety is so intense that they need the medication, medications like Ativan and Xanax, to name a few, to help that person to get to a place that their anxiety is managed enough that the psychotherapy can work with the person, can help them to strategize and come up with um, uh, what we call adaptive ways of dealing with their anxiety. Those are the primary two treatments for anxiety. 
psychotherapy and medication. Now, um, in terms of psychotherapy, in, in addition to the one-on-one psychotherapy I'm talking about, um, people can also go to um, some uh, psychotherapy groups that help people to work with anxiety. So it doesn't have to be always one-on-one, but, uh, but it can also do group work. One of the things that's critical if a person has an anxiety disorder is they do need the first step, which is a psychological evaluation. They need that before the treatment, before the treatment can happen. So we, ask, we look at doing a, what we call a psychiatric evaluation um, by either a psychiatrist, a clinical social worker like myself, um, a licensed um, a psychologist. Um, there are some disciplines that are not uh, uh, allowed to diagnose, such as a, um, a, a social worker who's not a clinician with a license. They are not uh, able to diagnose. Um, so, so, again, you want to make sure that you're getting somebody who is legally um, permitted by their license and, and credentials to diagnose. That's the first step, to get the diagnosis, because that's going to help the uh, provider to know how intense a person's anxiety is, fight, sort of get to the root of what it is, and that becomes mm-hmm. part of the strategy and treatment. Got it. So where do we go? In, okay. So what do you you go? You see a you see a licensed or a clinical, or do you go to your physician first to get a referral? How does that work? So it, it, it so it depends on your insurance. Um, most insurances have a behavioral health component to it, behavioral mm-hmm. health benefit. So I tell people one of the best ways to do this is to call your member services number of your health insurance and tell them that you are looking for behavioral health treatment and evaluation. Because Mm -hmm. what they'll do is, rather than you picking up the phone book and calling 10 people to say, do you take my insurance, the insurance has a, most of them have a behavioral health uh, division who can provide a list of uh, what we call uh, providers that they are capitated to, that they already know and have vetted and will pay for the service so that you're not scrounging around trying to find somebody. They can provide mm-hmm. a short list of providers. They will never uh, recommend one person, but they will provide a short list. Um, and usually they'll ask you where, you, where, where area you want to go and things like that, and they'll provide a short list of providers, and then it's up to the person with the disorder to then call and set up an appointment to get an evaluation. Got it. Let's and, go and back let me say to this. The... There... Go ahead. I just want to say that there are Christian uh, therapists available across the country. Um, I just want to put that out there. And what I would like to say to you is if you would like, I can get you either a link or a a, a listing of uh, some of the uh, ways of reaching clinical, Christian clinical uh, clinicians across the country. Go ahead. Sure, absolutely. We'll take it. Um, And I should say that we have other um, clinicians lined up for this series. So for the Great. next four weeks, we have yeah. In fact, um, yes. we tried our best to to get um, those individuals who are working in the space. Um, so, but you know what? I'm going to open up the lines because um, I'm sure there are questions here. Um, and yeah, so if you have a question, if you are on the line and you um, you want to ask a question specifically about the topic tonight, which is anxiety disorders. We started the conversation 
around anxiety, panic, and overwhelm. Of course, that sounds like something we made up, right? That sounds definitely that's something we made up, right? And uh, but but this is why we we uh, invited the authorities here to help us understand, so that you can identify um, if it speaks to you, and you can um, seek help and or support. Um, so. If you, I think if you star six to unmute your line, you can state your first name. If you don't want to, if you're concerned about confidentiality or you don't want to share your identity, just be whoever you want to be. Listen, um, and just share your first name and your state uh, uh, where where you are, and um, ask your question. While we're doing Hello. that, I will. Your first name. What's your first name? Yolanda Alexander. Hi. And, How you and doing? What's your question? Hi, gorgeous. Richmond, Virginia. Question? I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Um, my question is, is that I'm have I have that problem because I'm living with HIV AIDS, okay. and and um and I do have my I have those uh, depression and anxiety attacks every now and then and everything. Okay. They have me on a medicine medication called uh Well Brutal. Yes. Brutal. And yes. I take that every day. So and um and and the way it makes me feel it, you know, it, it the the pill makes me feel good. But the problem, you know, that you know, sometimes you you might have a you just you know that desire to uh, depression might just come un unexpected you know when y'all was asking you know when you asked the question how often do a person have it we it it comes whenever they want to you know it doesn't it 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 just comes when you least expect it i mean like today i'm today I feel great today I'm feeling good. Today I'm happy. Now tomorrow I don't know how I'm gonna feel. <laughs> so, so my, do you have a specific question? My question is: Is that um, what can I what can I do to try to keep from avoiding it, having having those attacks every now and then, other than just taking the pill. So my one question would be, have you um, thought about, considered, or ever had psychotherapy? Yes, I go to counseling once a week. Okay. And and so, because that's the place where you and your therapist should be working on that, working on how to minimize the symptoms, how to how to um, tell when you're starting to feel anxious, and how to prevent yourself from fully becoming anxious. That's what we do in treatment. So that's that's Wait. what I would say. You know, it's something else I do. Like, okay, I don't get like that unless it's something that irritates. You know, irritates me like family issues, you know, and stuff like that irritates me. You know, and that's um, and that's when I have those those desire attacks. So, what I learned for myself to do is um, stay away from the negativity and be around positive positivity. Mm-hmm. 
That just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. sure. Let that's, me just mention yep, a couple. The, a couple what's of what's your name, stuff. ma'am? I'm sorry. Can you? Was it Val? What was your first name again? Uh, oh, I missed her name. All right. Well, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, and yes. Yeah, so, can you talk, Reverend, about because what she mentioned, what she what she said was so. Um, I'll say, um, what do I want to say? What she mentioned was something that applies to all of us. That's what I wanted to say. She said she's taking care of herself, right, even given mm-hmm, her situation. Mm-hmm. She, she's been yeah. diagnosed and she's living and she's grateful. She said, but sometimes the onset of anxiety just happens. So she's doing everything. When you said medication, she said yes. yes. When you said seeing yep. your therapist, she said yes. But do, do you see how she spoke up for everybody else? Because the one thing that is, um, I guess, a what a risk or um, trigger of anxiety, she said it's the family. And so can you answer that right. question for her and the rest of us that we're not even presenting or some of us are not, but she, she hit on what I think a lot of uh, people deal with. It's the external stuff that gets us. So, so please right. can you share, you know. Sure. So, so one of the things, um, I want to say this, and I want to mention about seven things that a person can do um, to help minimize the effects of the anxiety on them. If I could do that. All right. So, so uh, she is doing everything right. She's in therapy. She's, in, she's on medication. As I said a few moments ago, when a person has an anxiety disorder, it does not go away. So it's, it's called managing the symptoms and managing the anxiety. And so that's why I asked her is, in her psychotherapy, is she bringing those things to the therapist so that they can talk about how to approach the things that cause her to feel anxious um, for example, if, if she knows that um, there's some family dynamics that cause her stress, in treatment with the therapist, they talk about how to minimize that. And I'll give you an example. Um, so one of my therapists had a client who definitely had severe anxiety, and what, what we discovered was that um, there was a specific family member that was, was a trigger for her. And so in therapy, they began to talk about how can you – uh, manage that relationship, and, and what it boiled down to was recognizing when the interaction with that person was going to heighten her anxiety. Start, you could tell when the interaction is going to not going to be good. Recognizing that, and then having an escape plan. How do I get out of this? Because I can feel that this is going in the wrong place. Sometimes it's knowing that any interaction with that person is not going to be healthy, and then it comes to the place where the person has to decide, what can I do? because I know that I can't engage this person face-to-face. If I want to still engage them at all, what can I do? And those are the kind of things that you actually talk about and plan in treatment with a therapist. Um, So, for example, it may mean just communicating by email to that person, just to say, yes, I'm still around, I'm still good, you're good. So it really means breaking down what are the triggers for the anxiety to be at its heightened state and recognizing when those triggers are starting to happen so that you can kind of thwart them from becoming a full-blown anxiety moment. That's good. That's awesome. Awesome. So All right, let's see. Can I have another oh, question? Sorry. Oh, yes, go right ahead. I apologize. I'm so sorry. I, again, I'm on a cell phone, so when I think you're done, I try to chime in. I just wanted to mention seven things that people should especially do if they know they have anxiety. Would you like me to do that now or wait? Oh, sure. Go right ahead. 
Okay. So what we know is that physical activity helps a person to reduce stress, and it helps to improve mood. So we say to people, if you know you have anxiety or when you feel overwhelmed and stressed, one of the things you should do is find a way to have some physical activity, whether it's taking a walk, working out, um, just find some way to have some physical activity on a regular basis. The second thing we say is um, if you know you have an anxiety issue, avoid alcohol and recreational substances. I'm not going to – I'm just going to mention that, even though I know we're on Girlfriend's Pray. But it's important that if a person knows they have anxiety, that (laughs) the substance can worsen the anxiety. So let me just say Mm -hmm. that. The other thing is um, if a person smokes, they should – or drinks, uh, any kind of uh, caffeinated uh, beverages, they really should uh, try to cut down or cut out both because nicotine and caffeine can worsen anxiety. So you might think having a cup of coffee might be the thing that's going to help me out, but if you're drinking coffee with caffeine, it's not going to be your help. So let me mention that. The other thing is learning and using stress management and relaxation techniques. Sometimes we'll lead people through visualization techniques and treatment to teach them how to do it on their own. So, for example, we, one of the things I do with people when I do visualization is I have them think about one of the places that they're most, they're most calming uh, place for them. Um, and in doing that, then we teach them how to go there in their mind when they start to feel anxious. So stress management can be visualizations, meditation, yoga. Um, if a person finds a relaxation in crocheting, whatever activity they can do, to find some relaxation, that's what they want to do. And you have to be very intentional about planning those things. And this is what a therapist will help you explore in treatment. The other thing is making sure that you get enough sleep and rest. That's another priority for anxiety. Um, When people are anxious, it's it's sometimes natural for sleep deprivation, but that only makes the anxiety worse. So making sure to get uh, adequate sleep is a priority. And then lastly, Eating healthy is another really key thing we talk about in managing anxiety. So I'm, I'm going to be, I'm done. Those are the seven things I wanted to mention. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Any questions on the line? Uh, if you come in and only um, if you have a question, that would be great just because we're managing time. But you can state your first name. And if you want to remain anonymous, you can just make up a name. Um, but just star six to come in and state your first name and ask your question. Hi, my name's Kierica. Um, I'm in Maryland. I have a question. Yes, go right ahead. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, so I recently published a book called Your Mental Health Matters to Him, meaning him mean God. And what I'm finding is, like, I'm getting a lot of good feedback from people um, about the book, and um, and it just discusses different scriptures to, like, help you with um, dealing with your mental health and just those foundational components of how to, how to manage and how to cope. Um, but what I'm finding is that for others that may not know how to seek that help or um, not believe in, let's say, not believe in therapy. How do you, how do you help coach them or coax them or help them to feel comfortable about seeking help? And specifically, I'm asking about like men, men, black men, men in general, who mm. feel that it's taboo or um, 
feel that they may not need it or, you know, just how do you, how do you get them to be comfortable with seeking help or wanting help? So I, I will be honest with you, that's a challenging, that's a really challenging issue because um, I find that, um, you know, we promote wellness wherever we are. You know, if, if, if it's your church, you promote wellness, you promote, uh, you know, mental wellness and stuff like that. I think we need to start doing more of that because a lot of times the church is a gatekeeper for who the members uh, will accept help from. So I believe that in our, in our churches, in our communities where we have the biggest issues around these, uh, these uh, mental health issues, we've got to start promoting it from a wellness perspective and not making it taboo. Um, the problem with a lot of men especially, as well as people in the church, is that mental illness has been made to be such a stigma, so negative. Every time you turn around, you see someone on the news who has done something where they've acted out, and the first thing that is said is that they have a mental health issue. And that might be true. But what we don't understand is that the, the percentage of people who do those kind of destructive, uh, really dangerous things are not even 1% of the population of people who have mental health issues. But it's stigmatized because of stuff like that. So I think we have, multiple, we have to work on the micro level and the macro level, the local level and the you know, broader level to try to re- reduce stigma. That's talking globally. When you talk about individuals, Again, sometimes people are only going to accept help when they find themselves in extreme, extreme distress. Unfortunately, that's the truth, but we have to make it comfortable for people to say, I'm in trouble. Also, one of the things that I think is important is for people who are trained in knowing how to talk to people who have mental health issues. Um, uh, I know that, Dr. Marshall, you mentioned the, tr- the training that I've taken, mental health first aid, and I want to put a plug in that for that training because that training teaches the non-professional a five-step process for how to engage someone who is becoming unwell or who is unwell from a mental health perspective and how to try to coach them, coax them into getting help. So I really push that program. It is, it is taught internationally. It's taught across the country. If anybody on the call wants to go through the training to learn better, how to do this. Um, it is an eight-hour training, but you can find it by simply going to www.mentalhealthfirstaid.com or org, I forget which one, um, and then you can put in your state and your location, and it will show you where trainings are being held. But that's another way to get more information because the more people that we um, help have the proper information about mental health issues, the better we're able to get people to say, you know what, I need help. So it's a large issue. Uh, it really is. But one of the things that we don't ever want to do with people who have a mental health issue is if we try to get them to go for help and they say no, we don't want to uh, browbeat them because maybe the next time they'll say yes. So we have to make it comfortable for people to hear us and put it out there when we see them being unwell, support them mm-hmm. and saying, hey, listen, I, I-, I want to tell you what-, what I'm seeing and that you don't have to suffer like this, and then helping mm-hmm. people to find out that it's okay to get help. That's good. Thank you, Reverend. Appreciate that. Um, are there any other questions? Because, I, I mean, I could say a lot about, um, but I think you covered it. It's, it's um, I think, not just um, helping people to understand um, and get over the stigma that, you know, therapy is healthy. Um, Absolutely. And therapy is, you know, um, it's really about proactively wanting to be well and absolutely um right i think also in our community it's taking off some of the language 
that really stings and is inaccurate and demeaning, like calling people crazy. Um, right. And, and talking like, um, yeah, I think, I think the, the one thing that just bugs uh, me is because I know it's something cultural that we just use the language crazy. Um, yeah. And we're yeah. Insen- sensitive when people are presenting. So when uh, somebody says that they are having something, not telling people to snap out of it or to get over right. it. Right. Um, so things like right. that. I think educating people on distinctions about, you know, there are resources for this, that, yes. and the other. And so there's a resource yes. if, you know, you break your leg, you go see the physician, an MD. If you have a toothache, you go to see a dentist. If you need a legal representation, you would see an attorney. And if you, exactly. um, you know, if you're not feeling well in this area, you would go and see a therapist. So sometimes the framing, I think, works. Absolutely. I also think... Um, I think with men, I think the women in their lives, sometimes um, it depends. It could send them either way. Um, right. You know, men listen listen to the women in their lives. So I think there's, you know, there's two sides to that coin. Like certainly I think in one instance um, they would say, no, they don't listen if it comes from, you know, the right. woman. But in a lot of instances they will listen if it's the woman, right. I think, you know, sisters could talk to brothers and, and so on, and, you know, nieces can talk to uncles and granddaughters can talk to granddads, and, you know, certainly it should be that wives can talk to husbands, but in a way that, you know, doesn't make him feel less than. Um, I had, um, you know, somebody reach out and share that they were having um, uh, how they, I think the language that, they might have used the language of depression, um very successful, um, awesome leader, and, you know, and and male. And I'm only sharing this because of uh, the question that you asked. And so um, I asked the question, I said, well, you know, who do you see if, you know, when you're having this situation? I just really asked Mm -hmm. the question because he's intelligent. So sometimes just talking to men in a way that is not – um, making them feel less than or making them feel shameful. And right, then right. Um, I just reframed therapy, and he was responsive. So I said, uh-huh. you know, well, therapy is preventative. I said, you're a leader. And so for right. leaders, an annual checkup with the therapist, I mean, that's what leaders do. And so even right. if you're on the line and you don't know therapy from that angle, I would say, and, and just because I work with leaders, um, because you're managing a lot and carrying a lot, and that's what I shared with him, you're managing a lot and you're carrying a lot, so you're pouring out, you're emptying out, so your emotional bank account is is empty. And so the reason you may be feeling this way, um, although, you know, depression is, is, is nothing, you know, it's a very real thing, but I said, but part of that could be because your, your bank account, you're, you're, on, you're on empty, and you know what? When I tell you the framing, I think I think he received it just because of framing. He's a leader. So sometimes with men, just stroke, stroke, stroke. You're a leader, which was the truth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so not mm-hmm. not allowing them to feel bad. I think another angle, um, to, in terms of framing for men, because the question that the um, the author um, asked was about men getting men to therapy. I think it's the mm-hmm. framing. So in that one instance, it was framing it as that's leadership um, care, right? 
But mm-hmm. another is um, setting it up or positioning it in such a way that it's success formula. So I, too, wrote a book for uh, called Dear Black Man, We Love You, the five things that black men need to hear that black women need to say. And the book really is about refilling their emotional bank account, um, but it also is a framing of sorts in how to win. So it's, it's, it's really um, the backdrop is about here's how you're going to be successful. I mean, it's a little bit of that. So if, how, if, if they have aspiration and goals in life and they're not quite there yet, then speaking to what might be the gap or what might be missing and, and framing it in such a way, well, here's how you might you know, pursue this goal is to do X. I think that in some instances may help. Now, I don't, I'm not the answer all and know all of this, but I will say we, I've had great response from the book because if you say to nephew and nephew wants to do, let's just say nephew wants to be a physician and nephew is struggling with something, right? So how nephew you're going to get to physician is the resource for this issue right here of anxiety is the therapy. So framing, I think, is helpful. I'll, that's all. That's my two cents. Um, so are there other questions on the line? Yes. Can you hear me? Hello. Yep. Just state your yes, your first name and your question. Hi, Dee. This is um, Deborah. Is someone speaking? Hello, um, Deborah. Yes, go I, ahead I was, with your question. I'm sorry. Let's hear from Deborah. And then who's the other person? Yolanda. Again. Okay, Yolanda. And then who's the next person? Ian. Okay, Ian, we're going to go Deborah, Yolanda, and Ian for the last three questions, and then we'll wrap the call. Do you mind, Reverend? No, I'm fine. Thank you. Okay, go well, ahead, I'm going to be quick. This is Deborah. I'm going to be quick. Um, this is something that I found that helped me because I, too, was having the anxiety issues. And as a matter of fact, there's a series on right now by physicians and therapists it's called depressionanxietyseries.com. I would like your permission to post it on the Girlfriends page link so that others can go on and view the series, and maybe they can get some additional information from there. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Hello? Yes. Hello? Okay, you hear me? Can you hear me? Yep. Your, yes, your question. Okay. Okay. Hi, D.C. Marsha. Um, I just I wanted to tell you, thank you, you know, thank you. Every morning I listen to your girlfriend prayer every morning. That gives me the inspiration to go on, you know, the inspiration to get my day started. And the thing is, is that every time that you pray on something, it, it, it's always something. I don't know what it is. It, it, it's always the answer from God through you. So I just wanted to tell you thank you on that, too. Um, 
My question is on business negativity. How can we deal with the negative of people being negative to to you, to a person that has the, you know, that has the um, depression and anxiety? Hello? Yes, Reverend, you, are you there? I am. I was just trying to think about her question. Can you okay. can you be a, can you say a little bit more about that? Do you mean the people who are around a person who? Yeah, a person like okay, my family, like some of my some of my family members and friends are so uh-huh. negative towards me. Okay. Okay. My, the negativeness okay. they towards me is because I'm living with HIV and AIDS. I was raped and I got got it. I've been diagnosed for five years. And when I told them this, you know, I told them this on Thanksgiving Day that I was um, diagnosed with H- living with HIV and AIDS. Um, now it's like you know, now I've been I'm doing good. I'm I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little more healthier. Um, I'm almost undetected, so life is you know getting worse. But I still deal with the stigma uh-huh. of uh-huh. what I have, okay. and and it's and it's dealing with the negativeness of the people, negative people about people that's living with HIV. So, so what I would say is that there are a lot of um, support groups that family members can attend um, with with the person who has the anxiety or depression. I think also there are support groups for people who have HIV as well, but support groups for people who are open to learning the right way about uh, how to support their family members or friends is a really good way to try to help people to understand because usually if people are not supportive, if they really are your support system, if they're not supportive because they lack the knowledge to understand. So part of the strategy would be to help them to get the right understanding. And so, again, you know, there are lots of support groups. Um, NAMI is the National Organization on Mental Illness. If you wanted to find support groups in your area, you could go on their website and uh, search out for web, for support groups that are available. There are local ones. Most hospitals have support groups. So I would just say that's one strategy. If if you um, feel comfortable trying to talk to them individually um, about what you're what where you feel like you need more support from them, uh, coming from a positive perspective rather than saying I don't find you supportive or you're negative or whatever. But but if they're a, a, a part of your support system that you really want to get support from, part of the strategy could be meeting with them one-on-one and just saying, listen, um, this is an area I'm struggling in. Let me tell you what kind of support I really could benefit from you, and then tell them what you need. Even if it's simply saying, please don't label me as this, tell them what you need. So you can do one-on-one discussions, and also you can educate. Also, there are pamphlets that you can get that you could just give to your loved ones um, that educate them about whatever uh, your depression, anxiety, or whatever. So you can use printed material because that normalizes what you're talking about rather than making it personal just about you. When I say normalize, it teaches people that this is a big issue across the country. It's not just your issue. So those are some strategies I would say. Excuse me. 
Thank you, Reverend. I appreciate that. Let's go to the next question. And any other questions around um, specifically the anxiety um, disorders and anything that we have learned this evening? So let's go to the last, I think the third person. Good evening. I'm Ian. Um, So my question is, um, although I have not been diagnosed with anxiety, uh, sometimes I feel that I get there. Would you uh, recommend even speaking to a therapist? I mean, I really don't feel that I need medication, um, but just to speak to a therapist, um, you know, to get you over that hump or to give you um, tips on how to deal with uh, whatever the issue at hand, you know, would you um, would you say that that would be okay just to find a therapist to speak with? I must apologize. I got disconnected. I had to call back in. So would you please, I'm sorry, reframe that again? So my question is, um, although I I am not diagnosed with anxiety, sometimes I feel that I I do have anxiety, um, you know, with the issues of life. So my Uh question is, do you recommend uh, speaking to a therapist to kind of ward off um, maybe getting to that point of anxiety or having <clears throat> the anxiety attack? Absolutely. Absolutely. Therapists deal with what we call chronic anxiety, which is the longstanding what we talked about, but they also deal with acute anxiety. What's the situation, what's going on at this time of your life where you're finding yourself feeling anxious? I absolutely recommend it. And usually if it's an acute anxiety, it's not going to be as long-term in terms of treatment as someone who's got a more chronic, long-standing. But absolutely agree with that. Thank you for clarifying because I couldn't understand uh, medica- medicating for um, some, of the, some of what I heard about general anxiety uh-huh. um, and, and some of the phobias. So thank you for clarifying it. There's chronic and then there's acute. Right. And, you're, and again, and just one so, last point about that. I'm sorry. What, what I was going to say, and I do apologize, I just wanted to clarify again what I said earlier too, and that is that we talk medication if the therapy alone doesn't work. Got it. Got it. So the, so the first step would be some sort of therapy which is non which is not um, associated with medicating. Right. Some other therapy. You said CBT. Okay, psychotherapy. Can you Mm -hmm. define psychotherapy for us, please? Talk therapy. Some people call it counseling. It's it's basically talk therapy. Got it. And again, a different form. CBT is one type of therapy, Mm -hmm. of of intervention that we use. We use some other Mm -hmm. ones, but that's the primary one for anxiety that we use. Got it. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other questions? If you're on the line, we're talking to Reverend Sharon White. She, although she is a minister, she's also a clinical. Um, she she's qualified to be here. Let's just say she's a licensed clinical social worker, and so um, she's been extremely helpful this evening to help us understand um, anxiety disorders. And so are there any other questions on the line specifically around anxiety disorder? We've learned about general anxiety. 
phobias, obsessive compulsive disorder, post traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Thank so you. State your first name if you have a question. Hi, this is Sharon from Washington, D.C., and I have a question. Uh, for Reverend White, I am uh, part of a planning committee for a mental health day at my church mm. that's coming up this spring, and we mm-hmm. were going to focus on the different anxiety disorders, and mm-hmm. we were trying to decide whether we wanted to have professionals come in and speak to the women or if we mm-hmm. should have uh, people who are actually living with anxiety disorder to come in. Now, I happen to be a person who is living with anxiety disorders. I was diagnosed at a very young age, probably age seven, uh, Mm -hmm. which um, was the time that my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and she passed away when I was 11. So I've had a lifelong history of anxiety. So my question is, in planning this mental health day for the women in the church, should I disclose to them that I am living with an anxiety disorder and maybe put myself on the panel and be one of the speakers? I'm trying to decide if that would be helpful or if there mm-hmm. would be too much stigma around um, my own um, anxiety that people would not be able to hear or receive information from me. So what would you suggest? How should I approach it? So I think that's a really good consideration. Let me say a couple things about that. I said what, what I would say is, your comfort level with being transparent about your own anxiety uh, 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 issues should be um, decided based on your comfort level with people knowing it after the fact. In other words, if you put it out there today, what, what would, be, would you have any concern about people relating to you later? In other words, if you're a leader or someone in the church, do you have any concern that people might start to uh, not uh, come to you or, or uh, uh, trust you or, you know, see you differently as a, as a, a relation to you exposing yourself. That's the first thing. that You have to come up with that answer yourself. But what I will say is I think a great strategy is to have professional and people who are living with the disorder. Absolutely good strategy. Absolutely. Thank you, Sharon, for sharing. And, um, yeah, we'll be praying for you. Um, with that. I have my own thoughts, but um, I'm going to be praying for you and uh, that God would use you. Amen. Absolutely. All right. Was there one more question? Do you mind? Let me just see. Was there one more question before we wrap? All right. Well, we're going to we're going to wrap the call. So let me just um, share a couple things and then um, let you know what is next. So we uh this is girlfriends pray if you dialed into the call late this is girlfriends pray real talk the truth about mental health and the truth about mental wellness in tonight's discussion um specifically on anxiety disorders and we um i was led uh to focus on anxiety and panic just because I've heard from so many women in the last month about overwhelm, and me, myself, I know what that is about, overwhelm, always trying to manage um, through that. And so so that is where we started, but this series will continue um, for the next three consecutive Mondays. So we have different um, visiting clinicians, licensed clinical social workers who will come and share, and we want you to be here with us. We want to invite you to invite other people 
And our hope is um, that you would learn something, and so by learning we would then remove the stigma and the stereotype and the negative uh, thoughts and the negative connotation around, you know, uh, mental illness. Um, also that we would help to resolve this um, the church, uh, you know, this whole idea about praying um, to get well when I, I just believe you pray en route to see whoever you need to see, whether it's a physician or whether it is a therapist. Um, therapist therapy is good. Um, and so, so we hope that you would come back and join us again. Now, the other thing about this, so we've invited individuals here who are also practicing so that if you have an issue, you will now have um, an introduction or you have now been introduced to perhaps a resource that can support you. Um, Reverend White came here. We called her this morning, and so she came at the last minute. But she's been a wealth of information, and I'm grateful um, for you coming. But she's going to share with us some resources, and we're going to post them on our page. Um, if you are on Facebook, we are at Girlfriends Pray on Facebook, so we're going to share there. Um, and and then we will come back. So let me just share with you what's coming up for the next uh, series, and then I'm going to let uh, Reverend White have a closing uh, word. So the next uh, next week we're going to talk about relationships and heartbreak. Um, I think it was initially to be uh, relationships and loss and then talking about the emotions associated with loss and um, breakups and, and so on and so forth. So if you are the person that has, you know, consuming thoughts and issues and challenges, perhaps emotions, um, really heavy emotion, whether it's jealousy or anger or rage, or even if you've got issues of rejection. And so next week we're going to be here with Dr. Tina Scott and Theo, our board director, is going to facilitate. And then the following week we are going to have uh, Tamiko Neely, um, and we're going to be talking about depression, suicide, seasonal affective disorder, which is how this really started, um, us wanting to host this call, knowing that we are in the window where there are heavy um, I'll say, uh, presenting for seasonal affective disorder um, and depression. So so that's how we're started, but that's going to be on February 24th at 8. And then on March 2nd, we have Dr. Tracy, um, and we're going to talk about addiction. So um, whatever addiction, I guess, questions, concerns, issues that you have, um, hopefully we'll be able to get Dr. Tracy to talk about all kinds of addiction, not just illegal addictions to substance, but other kinds of addictions, whether it's a food addiction, whether it's, Lord, help help me, Jesus, the caffeine addiction, and or whether it's a social addiction, uh, whether uh, whatever the addiction might be. So that's going to be on March 2nd, and we're looking forward um, to that. So that said, if this has been a blessing to you, feel free to go over to the website, www.girlfriendspray.org, join the mailing list, um, support the ministry, share a testimonial. We'll also share information for Reverend White. But I think at this point, Reverend, I'll give you the final words. Um, uh, anything you want to share about how we find you um, and how we support you. 
So I, I will say that it's been my joy to be with you all this evening. Um, I crunched in a lot of material in like an hour, but it's been my joy to be able to share this with you all. What I would ask is um, just to help us to reduce, try to reduce stigma and all associated with mental illness and anxiety is that if you are in a church or community where you can promote uh, getting mental health treatment and um, excuse me, not treatment, mental health education, I would just encourage you to do that. Again, mental health first aid is a wonderful training. There has been legislation carved out for monies to be available for that training across the country. So it is the go-to training. Uh, Michelle Obama promotes it. There's a bunch of people in key places that have taken the training and really have talked about the worth of it because it's for the non-professional. It's an everyday language, but it teaches a five-step process we call the Mental Health First Aid Action Plan to know how to engage someone who is who is either becoming unwell or is unwell. And at the end of the training, whoever the trainer is in your location, they provide you with the resources, actual providers in your area. And you can you can find that by going to www.mentalhealthfirstaid.org or com. I forget. Um, it's that or thank you, thank you. Uh-huh. And you can get that information. You simply put your state in and look for your location, and you can find a trainer or training that's coming up. I just can't stress that enough that we've got to help reduce the stigma um, associated with people having mental illness and reduce the shame. When you reduce the stigma, you reduce the shame. And finally, I'll say this. We have to – I know one of, my, one of my passions and one of my commitments is trying to get faith leaders to become more and more trained properly so they're not saying the wrong thing. Um, I've heard many pastors say things across the pulpit that I cringe as a clinician because it only stigmatizes people more. So I, I'm on a quest to try to educate more faith leaders um, on the proper, accurate information about mental illness. I'm excited to say that I'm getting ready to train some seminary people, some seminarians on mental health first aid in April. So I, I'm just on a quest to try to educate the church properly. So that's what I would say. My best to all of you. Lastly, there is a workbook for the for the general um, public called the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook. If you, any of you struggle with um, anxiety, take a look at that workbook and see if it's something that might be helpful for you as well. Um, I am done. Thank you so much for your listening ear, and I pray that this time was a blessing to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you now to give honor and to give praise to your name. God, we thank you for this time, O oh Lord. We thank you, God, for your vessel, Lord God. We thank you for your daughter. We thank you, Lord God, for whatever price she had to pay to get here, O oh God to share with us um, what she has learned, what you have given her. Now, God, help the person on this line today, Lord, um, to get the support or the help that he or she needs, oh, God, give them the courage to get well, oh, Lord. And then, God, I'm asking you to help um, all of us on this line, oh, God. First, I'm asking you to forgive us, God. Forgive us for whenever or wherever we have been insensitive, oh, God, for um, your children presenting with something, oh, God, whenever we've been dismissive, oh, God, whenever we have not been mindful or respectful to volume and overwhelm, oh, God, and even the things that are um, we know to be real and biological help us to be more responsible, oh, God, with people, oh, God, and people 
who are challenged with different issues, oh God. And we just thank you right now for softening our hearts and helping us to be more responsible and to be better ambassadors for you. Then, God, um, we're asking you to make way for more licensed, trained therapists, oh God, who know your word, who are a healthy balance of being educated and trained, oh God, and then knowing your word that we would be comfortable enough to trust our lives to them, oh God, for yeah. direction. So we just love you tonight, oh Lord. We thank you, oh God. Um, we thank you and we love you. And Lord, we're asking even for healing, oh God. While we believe yes. um, in treatment and we believe in therapy, oh God, we even believe in the medication, God. But if you want to go ahead and miraculously uh, yes. shift and heal your daughter yes. or your son who is on this line, God, we yes, say God. do it in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, oh, Lord, that yes. your thoughts and your ways are not our ways and our thoughts, oh, God. And so we thank you, Lord, for moving as you see fit. For the one who is hurting on this line today, oh, God, whatever anxiety, disorder they may be presenting with, oh, God, we trust it to you, whether it is acute or generalized, yes. oh, God, whatever phobia, yes. Lord, God, we give every phobia to you in Jesus' name. Yes, but, God, we thank you for not allowing us to be super spiritual Christians that we blame yes. everything on the devil or the enemy. God, we just give you the illness right now. Lord God, for panic, we give to you. For obsessive compulsive disorder, oh, God, we give it to you. For PTSD, oh, God, we give you severe anxiety disorders right now flashbacks, nightmares, avoidance reactions, oh God, we give it to you. Detachment, oh Lord, depression, oh God, we give it to you. And we thank you, oh God, we thank you for the ministry, Lord God, and the leaders of this ministry that would have the sense enough to be responsible, oh God, with the platform that you gave, oh Lord. And so we thank you, God, for prayer, and we thank you, God, for resources, oh God. Now, Lord, bless this woman of God. Bless her back. Lord God, we're asking you to um, allow her to reclaim her time, Lord God, and to allow her to know and receive that her work and her time was not in vain. We thank you, Lord God. We love you tonight, oh God. Bless every woman. Bless Sharon right now, God, and whatever it is and however you're going to move to have her or to use her um, in her church. Oh, God, bless the woman, uh, Lord God, diagnosed with HIV. Bless, Lord God. Help her, Lord God. Send her um, uh, more additional um, resources to support her, oh, God. And for every woman who showed up here, bless the author on the line, oh, God. Lord, we're asking for overflow increase and more than enough for her books. Oh, yes, Lord God. We believe you, God, to be that God, that you are not um, the God that we would only be able to bring you our disorders and our mess. But we pray for every person who showed up here, oh, God. We thank you right now, Lord, that you would begin to settle their spirits right now in the name of Jesus, that they might get good sleep. Lord, that was one of the recommendations. Help, Lord God, us to move out of our own way to get good rest tonight, oh God, to rethink our eating habits, oh God, to remove every negative person out of our life, oh God, that may be the cause of anxiety. God, we thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us in this time. We bless your name tonight, oh God. 
We love you, Lord. We honor you. We give you highest praise. It is in Jesus' name we pray. We say amen and amen and amen. 